Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. We will continue our reflections into chapter 6 today, but before we get into those verses, I did want to speak to a couple of things. You know, it's interesting, as I leave the radio station from one day to the next, and from one program to the next, I find myself going into this kind of uh, post-game wrap-up, <laughs> or maybe post-radio wrap-up, where I reflect with what I just talked about. Certainly, I reflect before I go on air with what I'm going to talk about, but I also have these post-reflections, if you will, and often those post-reflections lead into my initial reflections for the next day. And so if it's not a conversation I find myself in, it's something I myself have been reflecting with. And, and after yesterday's program, I was reflecting into this word hypocrisy. You know, maybe I can pose the question about hypocrisy another way. Uh, yesterday we were talking about how hypocrisy in its history, in its origin, was tied to performance, was tied to acting, the imitation of speech as it might be found through acting. And so we have a question before us to ask, what areas in our lives might we be performing, okay? What aspects of our daily life are we not being true to ourselves? Because if you are acting, then you are a what? Well, hypocrite. This is what St. Paul is after. Isn't it interesting that St. Paul would talk about truthful speech in the same context that he is talking about hypocrisy? He does so because he is writing to an audience that understands the word hypocrisy. Hypocrisy to be something tied to acting, something to be tied to an imitation of speech. So he's challenging his listening audience as he challenges us today to speak truthfully. Don't act. Don't be a hypocrite. Be true to who you are and grow in God. Avoid hypocrisy. Avoid any disingenuous speech and become the person that God is calling you to become. Very, very important. Now, the other piece that I was reflecting with and I got into another conversation about, because I know it is touching so many different people, is this reality that we all confront of being rejected. All of us are rejected somehow, some way, and it affects us. It hurts us. And so we constantly deal with that tension of how we are called to love when we are rejected by the very person that God is calling us to love. Another thing that might help us is to understand that the person who is rejecting us or the person who is hurting us probably doesn't even know that they are hurting us. And even if they do know, what they may not know is that they haven't dealt with a wound. All of us, my friends, have these wounds. And 
we need to treat those wounds. Remember how we have talked about salvation in the past. Salvation is a word that in its Latin means to heal. Salvation is a word that means to heal. We have to allow God to save us, to heal our wound so that we might be free, free to become the person that God has called us to be, which means what? Free to love, free to love. If we don't deal with our past wounds, then we're going to be bound to those wounds. We will not be free and we will behave in such a way that is counter to our nature, that is counter to the vocation that God has entrusted us with. Uh, What do I mean? Well, imagine if a bird tried to swim great lengths, or imagine if a fish (laughs) tried to fly. Most birds don't swim. I know some do, but most birds don't swim and fish don't fly. Why? Because It's not what they do according to their nature. And yet, we so often, bound to past wounds, act against our nature. Only when we allow Christ to heal our past wounds are we free to love. So, just as the bird is most free when it is flying, and the fish most free when it is swimming, so is man most free when he is loving. Amen to that. All right, with that, let us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, let's see here. I will go ahead and read, for context, we'll go back to verse 3. I will read verses 3 to 10. We will wrap up verse 7 and certainly get in to verses 8, 9, and 10. So if you have your Bibles out, if you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watching, hunger. By purity, knowledge, forbearance, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So here, St. Paul is deliberating on what? But the paradoxes of his apostolic existence. And consequently, my friends, (laughs) on the paradoxes of Christian discipleship. In many ways, Paul, in verses 7 and, and following, continues his list of credentials. And he does so by declaring that he conducts himself with what? Weapons of righteousness at the right and the left. Certainly, Paul's use of military imagery conveys that Christian life in general, and certainly in his case, the apostolic life in particular, 
are opposed by the powerful forces of sin, flesh, and Satan. So what are the weapons of righteousness? Well, Paul himself offers a clue in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. There he exhorts the members of the churches in Rome to present yourselves to God and the parts of your bodies to God as weapons of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? So in other words, the expression with weapons of righteousness refers to what? But our ability to show forth the goodness and fidelity of God through our bodily actions. We saw in chapter 5, verse 21, that God's righteousness, which was revealed preeminently through Christ, continues to be manifested by our love and self-giving after the manner of Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus leads, and we follow that path wherever he takes us, wherever he takes us. Let God surprise you. God has a surprise for each and every one of us if, if we follow his path. God is unconventional. God, in so many ways, is unpredictable. As you've heard me say it before, he turns something upside down so as to turn it right side up. Why? Because he is a God of paradox. He is a God of unconvention. He is a God of the unexpected. So let God surprise you. Follow that path. Now, our ability to become the righteousness of God, as Paul would put it, is due to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is no accident that Paul earlier called the New Covenant ministry the what? The ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. We share in the very life and love of God, which is a sharing in the love shared between the Father and the Son. This is the great gift that God has given us. I want to hit the pause button here and tease this out just a little further. I was reflecting with this earlier today in the context of married life. I have four children, Colby, Avila, Isaac, and Sienna. All four of my children are a reflection of the love shared between my wife and I. And let me tell you something. Each and every one of them, in their own way, are a reflection of that love. By all accounts, my oldest son, Colby, looks probably the most like me. And by all accounts, my oldest daughter looks the most like her mother. And depending upon who you ask... Uh, my younger two probably are a mix between the both of us. They are a reflection of the love shared between my wife and I. And from one day to the next, our children are called to continue to share in the love that my wife and I express for one another. And as they do, they grow and mature as whole craft children. Now, transfer this back to the spiritual life. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And the more we grow in the life of God, the more we will reflect the love that has been given to us. Just as my children 
reflect the love shared between my wife and I, so do we reflect, but of course, on a much deeper level, the love shared between the Father and the Son. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're talking about this again because we were talking about sharing in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sharing in the ministry of God's righteousness, which is to share in the ministry of God's love, which is to share in the ministry of the love shared between the Father and the Son. So moving forward in these reflections, Paul presents himself as outfitted, we could say, by God to manifest righteousness. In really his own words, like a soldier equipped with a sword in his right hand and a shield in his left. He has been equipped with the very life of God. And so we have to think about our own Christian life in this way. If we want to overcome the camp of Satan, the standard of Satan, all of the evil ways, if we want to win the battle, then we have to acquire the weapons of righteousness. First and foremost, the very holiness of God and the weapons that help us acquire that deeper holiness of God. Prayer in the sacramental life, the reading of sacred scripture, those daily devotionals that we practice. These are weapons. These are weapons, my friends. And when we are tempted by Satan, we have to empty those clips, if you will, those clips of higher virtue, justice, temperance, fortitude, and prudence. Those clips that allow us to become, again, the person that God is calling us to be. All right, turning to verse 8 here. Through glory and dishonor, insult and praise. Paul insists at the beginning of verse 8 that he faithfully proclaims the gospel through what? Glory and dishonor. Through insult and praise. Here he alludes to the various reactions his ministry has provoked. Brothers and sisters, Paul knows human fickleness well. I mean, consider, on one occasion, after healing a man crippled from birth, Paul was acclaimed as a what? God by the people of Lystra, only to be stoned and dragged out of the city moments later. <laughs> there is a reason why Paul speaks as he does the glory and dishonor, the insult and praise, because he has experienced it in very concrete ways. His point is this, whether he is highly regarded or despised by those to whom he ministers, he is faithful in his vocation. Paul does not play to the crowds or, or allow how they perceive him to get in the way of the work that God has called him to. He persistently proclaims the gospel, whether it is, what does he say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2? Whether it is convenient or inconvenient. This really strikes to the heart of all of these paradoxes that he goes through. Now, speaking of these paradoxes, in many ways, we can speak to these as antitheses. If you were to go into any Christian commentary and uh, the great theologians that have really poured themselves into these verses, they speak to these particular verses as 
the seven antitheses. So in the case of these seven antitheses, the first half of the phrase, Paul is perceived from a human or we could say fleshy point of view. The second half then sets forth the true reality of his existence, seen with the eyes of faith. So Paul is regarded in some quarters as a deceiver and in other quarters, of course, as truthful. Now recall how his change in travel plans, even in the opening verses of this chapter, raised questions about the reliability of his word. We will also see later in this book that he is accused of deceiving the Corinthians in regard to the collection for the church in Jerusalem. But as I just noted, the reality is what? Paul is truthful. He openly manifests the truth because he proclaims the gospel, the message of truth. What did we talk about yesterday evening? The message of truth in word and deed, as one in whom the truth of Christ resides. What does he tell us? What does he teach us? What does he proclaim? That that person, the person for whom the truth of Christ resides, cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Here he is speaking to an existential reality. If you live in truth, if the truth has in fact thoroughly invaded your soul, then what will it do? Spill over. So if the truth of Christ resides in you, abides in you, you cannot do anything against the truth. Is this not a great challenge before us? I mean, these verses come on the heels of what? What was he just talking about? But the relationship between hypocrisy and truthfulness of speech, right? Now, the second antithesis involves this issue of being recognized by others. In the eyes of the world, Paul is what? Unrecognized. That is, he does not have fame, if you will. He does not have fortune. He does not have success as they might be understood in secular terms. He concedes that he has become like the world's rubbish. What was that verse? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I've become like the world's rubbish, the scum of all. Nevertheless, Paul insists he is what? Acknowledged. Paul is fully known by God and conducts himself in a transparent manner before him. You see, my friends, <laughs> when you are focused on God and God alone, you're not going to be concerned about being considered rubbish, being considered scum, being considered less than human, being a hater, a bigot, and all those things that are now seemingly tied to anyone who professes the Christian faith. You don't concern yourself with any of that. Why? Because all you concern yourself is with the truth. And of course, the truth incarnate, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm looking here at the, the commentary on these third and fourth antitheses. These antitheses are derived from Psalm chapter 118, verses 7 to 18. And so as Father Stegman here notes, like the psalmist who confesses, I shall not die but live and declare the deeds of the Lord, Paul declares that while his outer self is dying, 
even so we live. So there he juxtaposes death and life. The highest paradox of the cross itself. Where there is death, there is life. So in this way, St. Paul adapts Psalm chapter 118, verse 17, to his circumstances. In effect, Paul, in many ways, is recalling his hardships so as to better understand what it means to live, in particular, to give of himself, to love as Christ loved, to will the good of the other for the sake of other, expecting nothing in return. This is what love is, to will the good of the other for the sake of other and to expect nothing in return. How many times do we do something for someone with the expectation of getting something back? Brothers and sisters, love in many cases is void of expectation. And here I'm not talking about the virtue of hope, right? That confident assurance of of what awaits us, right? I'm talking about that human expectation, that secular understanding of expectation. No. Christ calls us to something greater. As St. Paul deliberates here, self-giving love is an essential aspect of him proclaiming what but the deeds of God because his greatest deed was the very gift of himself to the world. Amen to that. All right, again, as I was just speaking to uh, Father Stegman's reflections just not the third, but also fourth antithesis is derived from uh, Psalm chapter 18, uh, verses 7 to 18. So in verse 18 of that psalm, we read, The Lord chastised me harshly, but did not hand me over to death. So here again, Paul is actualizing a text, acknowledging that he has been chastised by the sufferings inflicted on him by others. But he does not interpret this as others do, namely as God's punishment. No, Paul interprets his chastisements in the light of the divine discipline bestowed on those whom God loves. He understands that at the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. And so as was the case with the psalmist, although he is chastised, Paul is what? Not yet put to death. You see? So I love this because his very life has become an actualization of a text. And should we not hopefully be able to say the same thing about our own life? Should we not aspire to actualizing the biblical text in our every word and in our every deed? Isn't this part of our Christian and Catholic vocation? Absolutely it is. So it's interesting. You spend more time with this text and you can... Again, I think an important insight that part of the Christian vocation is to what but actualize the very words 
that have been inspired by God himself. And certainly, this is what Paul is doing, and he's professing it. All right, what more can we say to these verses? Well, at the beginning of verse 10, Paul reports that he is seen by others as what? Sorrowful, as one whose life seems to offer no grounds for happiness. Yet, his ministry is marked by constant rejoicing. Now, the joy to which he refers here is both a gift of the Spirit and the result of the coming of God's kingdom. So here we are to appreciate what I have talked about so much, that along with peace, joy is the fruit of living in fidelity to the gospel. For this reason, Paul can encourage his communities to what? Rejoice in the Lord and to do so always. We hear this echoed in Peter's epistle. Rejoice when you suffer. I mean, what is that all about anyways? Once you understand that you are doing the will of the Father, even if it involves hardships, afflictions, and suffering, you will come to know the joy of the Lord. Why? Because it is the very thing that Jesus Christ himself had to pass through so as to know eternal bliss. And so this is, again, part of that path that we follow, right? Christ leads, we follow, we let God surprise us, and in the end, we will know that absolute bliss, that absolute joy that transcends anything we have encountered here on earth. Certainly, we experience many joys and happiness here on earth. But those are only a taste of what we will come to know as eternal bliss. Amen? Amen. I am looking up at the clock and we are out of time. As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.